0: I believe this is round four for the Beyond Limits class. So I ought to be a pro at teaching this at this point. But as the Lord does, He changed it up on me. And so we're moving from a six, or excuse me, from a four-week class to a six-week class. And uh, it's been a lot of information to give the last couple of times. And so I feel like the Lord wanted to give us just a little bit more time to uh, to um, go through that um, that material, and so the Beyond Limits class is a six week journey, and it is a journey into embracing spiritual or supernatural possibility, a scriptural journey into embracing supernatural possibility. And so, let me start off by just saying uh, a little bit about um, myself and my journey in embracing supernatural possibility. To you, it might sound like, well, yeah, duh. I mean, supernatural things. Like, we are Christians, and we have faith in an unseen God, and we have put our faith in Christ, and he has sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. So this entire thing is supernatural at its foundation. However, it seems like over time we've moved away somewhat from this supernatural situation and have put more power in what we're able to do or accomplish or know or understand. We've made it this journey of knowledge um, through scripture, and we have replaced experience, I believe, with knowledge. And um, not everybody's done it, but I think that a lot of people have actually done this over time. And so what the Lord has done in my life probably over the past two or three years is he's really been, he he put a phrase to it, um, he's really been disrupting my religion. And so I've had a lot of religion in me. And as I've had people around me experiencing the Father in different kinds of ways, that was not just the knowledge they've gained from the scriptures or from study or from school or whatever it is, these experiences that people are having and saying that, the Spirit is doing these things and saying these things and showing them these things, I'm, I'm like, whoa, hold on. What is He saying to you? What is He showing you? And then the question that we ask right after that is, well, where's that in Scripture? And so um, the Lord's taken me through a, through a grueling uh, journey to bring me to this point. But as He has shown me and used Scripture and opened my heart and opened my mind and made me more, what's the word? receptive and open to the things of the Spirit and the supernatural, I knew that it, this wasn't just for for my own walk, but that the Lord wanted to use the things that I've learned and the things that He's shown me in my experiences to help other people along the way. And so um, it's kind of like this idea of the, the Jordan and the Israelites coming out of Egypt. They're going to cross the Jordan. They're trying to get to the promised land where the Lord is there and He's He's promised this, this life to them. And people coming from Egypt still had some of that slave mentality. And so there are forerunners who have crossed the river and who are way out ahead, um, way out ahead of the group. And... Um, They're just like journeying into uh, what the Lord has. And then there are people who who are kind of back and saying, well, I don't know about that. But then I think there are people who have taken a couple of steps into the water, and they're like, oh, this actually isn't that bad. And so I feel like I'm that person that is, the forerunners have taken off. I've still had some religious mentality, but the Lord is by his spirit moved me into where I'm stepping into, um, stepping into, uh, what he has, what he wants. Sorry, I'm having to let people in. Um, and so as I've stepped into that river and I'm there, he's now saying, okay, turn around and look back and let people know, like the water's fine. And that they can go ahead and step in, and that they can leave, they can leave that Egypt mentality, they can leave that slavery mentality in the past, and that they can start to journey forward. And so that's my, um, that is my place in the river, I suppose. And so I'm so glad you guys are here to listen and learn from the things that the Lord has showed me on this journey. And so. Um, Tonight begins week one of Beyond Limits, and so we're calling this week Dealing with the Issue of Mixture. And so each week of the class will build on the week from before. And so there's this entire narrative through Scripture where the Lord has invited people into relationship with Him. He's revealed Himself to people, invited them into relationship with Him. And then once He does that, He invites us into mission as well. And so then He begins to give us a place in the kingdom and He gives us something to do based on our identity and who He's made us and His will for our life. And then not only does He do that, but then He sends a spirit to empower us and He gives us spiritual gifts and all kinds of other things that allow us to journey in this mission that He's prepared for us. And uh, He uses all of heaven's resources he uses everything in his disposal, angels and spirit and supernatural abilities and everything that's in his kingdom, he gives us um, to be able to journey forward in doing this mission. And then finally, in the last couple of weeks, we'll talk a little bit about spiritual warfare and then how we have things that come against us and how the Lord empowers us to be able to um, move forward and, uh, and combat all of the things that are coming against us. We know that our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but spiritual powers, principalities, and authorities. And so he actually gives us power over those things to, uh, to, to beat them, essentially. And so that is kind of the journey that's going to happen over the next six weeks. And so I just want to give you a little bit of a, foret- a foretaste, I guess, or a forecast of what's going to be happening. So um, week one, dealing with the issue... Of mixture, and so before I dive into that, let me go ahead and uh, and pray. So, Father, I thank you so much for your Spirit that leads us and guides us into all truth, and I thank you for your Spirit that lives and dwells in me. God, you've invited all of us into this journey, into this kingdom, to exist in relationship with you, and I thank you for that. You've given us mission, you've given us purpose, and I believe that, Lord, you've revealed to me more of that, and that even just doing this class and being here and sharing these things is me living that out. And so I thank you that you're with me, that I'm not alone. I thank you that you're with all of us, that your presence is here. We don't have to ask for you to join us. You are already amongst us, and so I thank you for that. I thank you for the gifts of the Spirit, that will be active and working in me tonight as I uh, walk through these, um, these scriptures, through this week of teaching. And Father, I trust you to do the leading and guiding into truth. And so I'll just play my role in testifying of your goodness, testifying of my experience, and testifying of the way that I've read scripture and the way that you've shown me certain things in scripture. And so, Father, I'll do, my, I'll do my job, and you do yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, Zoom, lots of distraction just happening here in the last moment uh, in person. So, you guys ready to dive in? Everybody ready? All right, let's do it. So, uh, sorry, I, I need to apologize to the people on Zoom Uh, I'm not going to be staring at the camera a lot, because we do have people in the room, and so I'll be preaching to the room, um, and I'll be looking down at my notes, and so I apologize if maybe that's just a little bit distracting. So um, tonight, week one, dealing with the issue of mixture, mixture. so your question uh, may be, what do you mean by mixture? So I have to talk about this idea of sourcing from a single place for truth, because I believe unfortunately, what has happened over time is that believers have, we've sourced from different places for truth. We've looked to man for truth. We, we say, and lots of Christianity will say, that scripture is the primary authority in the life of the believer. And when we look at scripture tonight, we're going to see that Jesus says, au contraire. I will tell you who that source is. But think about this idea of uh, Dr. Frankenstein. And so he created a monster, didn't he? What was this monster composed of? We well, he took the brain of a human, and he took different parts from animals and from different places, and he stitched together this entity, and then he shocks it with electricity and then brings it to life, and it's a monster. And I think about the way that some Christians have tried to piece together their faith over time. They've tried to take a little bit from this teacher and a little bit from this guy and a little bit from this guy. Now, let me say, we can receive encouragement. We can be led. We can be, we can be taught things and shown things. But there's a difference between sourcing from something as a primary source and then allowing the Spirit to move in people to testify and, and give experience and talk about the Lord and do these things and then have the spirit in us essentially leap like the baby leapt in um, Elizabeth's womb when Jesus was there with Mary, right? They were in the, in the stomachs and there was something about the spirit with the presence of Jesus there that something leapt. And so we know when we listen to teachings and we read scriptures, we do that kind of thing, the spirit will, will leap in us and we'll say yes and amen. That's where that kind of stuff comes from. But a lot of people don't rely on the discernment of the spirit in their life to tell them what truth is. They simply say, that's the pastor. He's on stage. He has the truth. What he says goes. I'm a part of this denomination. I believe in these doctrines. I've established these theologies. And these are the things that are truth in my life. So whatever X denomination says is truth. And I will listen to the people who study the Bible. They have the MDiv. They've gone to seminary. They've done all the word studies. They passed all the tests. Somebody decided along the way that it was a good idea to give somebody a grade for studying the Bible. Let me just not have to go off on that. But what I'm saying, and none of this stuff is bad in and of itself. What I'm saying is that when we source from the wrong place, we're going to create something that is off. We're going to create mixture. And so... What I believe the Lord wants to do with us tonight is show us that He's the true source for all truth. And so let's take it back to the Garden of Eden. And i love, love, love to teach on this. I believe that in the Garden, in Genesis chapter 2, and, or excuse me, chapter 3, that we actually see the birth of religion. And so let me just give a quick definition of what I believe religion is. I believe that it is a mixture of God's true word plus man's interpretation. And so I think we can interpret scripture. I mean, obviously that's what I'm doing now. But we'll see in just a little while that Jesus calls much of the teachings of the Pharisees tradition handed down by men. Thus, he says, you nullify the word of God. So it is possible to take what God has actually meant, add to it, and nullify it, and make it void. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, it says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man. So here we have the first words of Yahweh to man. And he says, or maybe not the first words, but here we get a first commandment. Um, He says, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. So right out of the gate, the father establishes freedom, right? He gives freedom first in relationship with him, and then he gives a command. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So let's just understand that the lord created a and it, he created the heavens and the earth he filled it and then he made man he put man in the garden he made the garden for man put him in it and named it eden which is pleasure and then he says you're free to eat from any tree pleasure and freedom relationship with the father but then he just says look i've one command for you and this command isn't about law or Putting something on you that's like, he's not setting us up for failure. It's not an unloving act. It's the most loving thing that he can do to say to us, source from only these things that I've created for you to source from. You feed your body by eating from every tree that's good for food. And what he's doing now by establishing a commandment, he's saying, I'm the source for what to do and what not to do. I am your source for good and I am your source for what's, to tell you what's bad. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan comes in and tempts Eve and says, if you eat of it, you'll be like God. And he's basically trying to bring division and saying, source from yourself and don't source from the Father any longer. And so this is where things get tricky. So after... Or Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, we then see that um, Yahweh makes Eve. So Eve was not there when Yahweh made Adam and commanded Adam about the tree. Interesting stuff. Genesis 3, verse 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Let me tell you, people who are going to question the word that God has given you, they're going to have to craft a way to question that, right? So the woman said to the serpent, so uh, the S- Satan, the serpent, is questioning now the word of God. He's questioning the source of truth in the life of Eve, And so here's where things get tricky. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. So she's got that right. I can source from these things. The father said that that is good. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. She's got that part right. And then he says, and you must not touch it. She says, you must not touch it or you will die. Where did that come from? Have you guys ever noticed that? Where did that come from? And I'll talk about that in just a second. Verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the temptation is to now source understanding of good and evil from somewhere other than the father. And this is what Satan does. Satan comes in and says, was that really God who spoke to you? What God said, was that really what he said to you? Does he still not launch spiritual attack on our minds and question what we know we've heard from the Father. Constantly, she says. And so here's what's interesting. Eve adds to the commandment of Yahweh. Yahweh says, don't eat of the tree. When Eve responds to the serpent and is essentially recalling what God said about the commandment, She says, he said, don't eat of it or, or do not touch it. And so do we see where we have the command of God plus something else that man has added? Are you guys following this? So somewhere along the way, she got this idea that the Lord commanded not to touch the fruit, where he had actually said not to eat it. And so we're simply speculating here, but either she was the one who decided that she wasn't going to touch it so that she eventually wouldn't eat it, that she was going to set a boundary before the actual sin, which is God's commandment plus law of man, plus man's addition to God's word. The other speculation is that Adam, out of a good heart for his wife, knew that the consequences of her actions for eating of the tree would be death, and he didn't want that for her. And so he said, don't eat of it, and actually don't even touch it. And so here we have what I believe is our first instance of religion. It's God's Word plus what man thinks God's Word means, or some additional commandment or law to what God has said that we think is going to help protect us or keep us from sinning right? So interestingly, what we see happen later on in this narrative in scripture is that God actually hands down law. He gives a whole list of do's and do nots. He gives the Levitical law. He gives the, the law of Moses and he hands down all these do and do nots. Do not touch, do not eat, do not taste, all these things. And so when the Israelites get a hold of the law of God, what do they do? They do it a second time. They take the law handed down from God for Moses, which is perfect divine law from heaven. Moses ascended the mountain, met with God, heard the commands, wrote them down on tablets, and went down to give them to the people. And so as the nation of Israel and as man got a hold of those laws again, what happens? All of these rabbis get together and they say, hey, it's probably a good idea. The father said that we shouldn't work on the Sabbath. Well, we probably need to figure out what work means. And so let's figure out what work means. Don't walk a mile. Don't feed your donkey. Don't pick up a rock that's more than five pounds. And they add to God's commandments. And they write an entire book called the Talmud. There's, actually, there's multiple Jewish writings, but then they had the Torah and the Talmud. They had the Torah that came from God, and then they had the Talmud that was man's interpretation. And so again, we see this issue of mixture, of taking what the Lord has said, and taking what man thinks it is, and then making a mess out of things. And so the Beyond Limits class, the first thing that we have to do in embracing supernatural possibility, a lot of us are going to have to forget a lot of things that we thought we knew. A lot of us are going to have to forget about some of the things that we've learned over time from certain church experiences, from our past, from all the lies that we've believed that Satan has spoken to us. Maybe from some of the things that we've been taught from the pulpit, y'all. Some of the things we've read in books, even some of the interpretations of Scripture that we've come to accept as truth based on some, I mean, if it's off, it's off. If it's off one degree, it's off. If it's sourcing from 99.9% God and then 0.01% us, it's still mixture. And so we have to be willing to say, you know what? I'm just going to let it all go. I don't, maybe I don't know what I think I know. And I've had to do a lot of that. I go back and I listen to certain teachings sometimes and I'm like, "Ugh, <laughs> why? What was I there? Actually, I'll, t- I'll be I'll be very truthful. There was one time I was listening to a sermon and it was like one of the first couple of sermons I preached when we launched the church back in 2011. And I was like talking to myself through the audio and I'm like, Jason, what are you even saying? What does that even mean? Oh my gosh, what were you doing? And I turned it off. I was like, I can't do it. And I had a hard drive that had a bunch of teachings from back then, and I just deleted them. I was like, I don't even want that stuff to live on. I might be doing that with Salty Dog's podcast in a couple of years. Who knows? (laughs) But um, here's the thing. We are on a journey. It's not wrong to be where we are in this part of our journey, learning what we're learning, thinking maybe we have some truth, and then later on realizing, no, the Lord's going to correct us. But he's our father and he will do that. And we're his children and he will lead and guide us and love us along the way. And he will source from an infinite well of grace to pour out over us as we continue to journey through this life and learn more from him. So we could actually reach a place in in this moment where we just repent and say, Father, I I, I just, I want to have my mind changed concerning the things that maybe I thought I knew. And a lot of the time, pride is attached with knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. We think we know it all. We think we've done the study. We, we, we think we understand it. And then somebody comes with a, with a point or a, a um, perspective that's different than ours. And immediately the walls go up and we're like, uh-uh, that's not truth. What if it is? What did the Pharisees do to Jesus? Oh, you're casting out demons by the name of Beelzebub. And Jesus is like, I'm the Messiah, bro. You're off. You're way off. They were so off. Were they not off? They completely missed it. And let me just tell you, none of us are above completely missing it. And so that's why it's so important, number one, that we humble ourselves and just say, yes, Lord, I want you to be my source. And so we're going to look at where uh, Jesus talks a little bit about this. So let's look real quick in Mark chapter 7, verse 8 through 13. Um, just one more idea of this, this uh, uh, one more point around this idea of, of mixture. So it says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. This is Jesus to the Pharisees, right? They're the ones that got a hold of the law and then creates the Talmud. And then even the Jews couldn't agree on the interpretation of the scriptures because there was the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And the primary difference in their belief system was uh, surrounding mainly the resurrection. So the Sadducees were like, I don't know exactly their stance, but they're like, "Here's how we feel about the resurrection." And the Pharisees were like, "Here's how we sound about the, uh, what we think about the resurrection." And so they couldn't call themselves the same same thing because they had different viewpoints on resurrection. So they found one point of contention and they split. Does that sound a little bit like Christianity in the world today? There's something like three thousand or six thousand, even if it's two thousand, different sects or um, denominations of Christianity in the world today because we like to find places where we disagree and divide so I can go believe what I believe and you can go believe what you believe. Let me just tell you, this is not something that uh, hasn't happened in history. Jesus has to address this. And when he addresses the Pharisees, he's basically saying, you're teaching tradition of man, not the word of God. And a lot of people are continuing. Well, that's how we've always done it. Our denomination is 400 years old. Our church dates all the way back to Peter. You know what I mean? Our church our church split from that church 400 years ago, and we're right. Okay? So let's just let Jesus address this. So Mark 7, 8 through 13, you leave, the, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. God said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Eve says, do not eat of it and do not touch it. Right? There's a commandment of God and, right? You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, Jesus, this is, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So not only do we now know the word, but then we reject the word in order to hold to what we believe is true. And there are a lot of people who are rejecting maybe what the Lord is saying to them because things have always been a certain way and they just always believe things a certain way. So verse 10 for Moses said, honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained for me is Corban that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. And so Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and say, look, you've got things that you believe that actually aren't even the word of God anymore. They're just tradition. Let me tell you, there are certain, I'm just going to say this and I'm not pointing anybody out, but there are certain theologies and certain doctrines that have been established by man hundreds of years ago that have entered the church, have lived on for centuries and still exist today that the Lord will probably look at and say, those are just traditions. You've completely missed the word of God in that one. And so... I'm not here to like bash or tear down. Listen, when I hear hard things like that, to me, that's an invitation. That's Jesus saying, inviting these Pharisees to consider what they've believed and what they've handed down and the ways that they've actually deviated from the word of God. There had to have been some Pharisees who walked away from that and were just like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know about that anymore and maybe their hearts were changed. This is the entire idea of metanoia, of changing our mind. And if we are going to go beyond limits, if we're gonna address the limits that we've put on the Father, we're going to have to metanoia. That means allow our mind to be changed, but it's the Father's work. But it also takes the humility, and it takes laying down the pride, and laying down the self, and laying down the thinking that we've known it all. And again, my entire journey is me battling me in my mind, hearing what people are experiencing in the father and with the spirit, and then putting that next to what my understanding, what my experience is and seeing a discrepancy and having to wrestle that out. Okay. So Jesus establishes the source for all truth. So what'll happen is we've seen, we've gotten a mixture there's a mixture of truth that has maybe happened when we've sourced from multiple places for what all truth is. And when Jesus comes back, he talks about this multiple times, and, and, and I just love it. Let's, let's look at it. John 16, 12 through 15. <clears throat> I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So Jesus here makes a statement, and let's just read it and look at it. 13, but when he... The Spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. Who guides us into all truth? The Spirit. How much truth does he guide us into? All of it. Jesus establishes the source for all truth in the life of the child of God. And he's saying it's the Spirit. If we look back in Ezekiel and even in Jeremiah, In Isaiah, there's multiple scriptures where the Lord is saying that he has to write his law on our hearts and take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and that he will put his spirit in us and cause us to walk in his ways and cause us to be obedient to his commands. So it's his spirit coming in us that's going to allow us to be obedient to the commands and to empower us. And so Jesus speaks to that spirit and says, hey, that spirit's coming. I'm going to send the the spirit of truth. There is a spirit of truth that is responsible for leading the believer into all truth. And so I, I have to look at my own life and I have to say, have I allowed the spirit of God to lead me into all truth? Have I relinquished? Have I cut off other sources of truth in order to receive from the one true source, which is the spirit of God. And it says he'll only speak what he hears. So Jesus is saying, look, the spirit of truth is going to come. He's going to guide you into truth. And he's going to say some things. The spirit of God will speak to the spirit of man. Jesus is establishing the primary method of communication between man and the father. It's not the scripture, y'all. It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the primary way that Jesus spoke Himself that the Father would communicate to those who would know Him and follow Him. Jesus went on to say, My spirit, my sheep will hear My voice. They will know My voice. Again, He says, There is a voice that will exist in the life of a believer, and that that voice serves multiple purposes. One is to lead us into all truth. And so here's an interesting fact, is that Jesus is essentially he's essentially saying there is a new way of knowing truth and it's by the Spirit of God in us. because those up to that point had relied on what? the law, the prophets, the Talmud, Again, mixture. The prophets came and spoke the word of God, thus saith the Lord, and they killed them. They had a source of truth in their life that was the Spirit of God speaking through a man, and they rejected it. And so it's very important that we do what the Scripture says, and we don't despise prophecy, the heart and the mind of God speaking forth through His Spirit through people, because the Lord will use people. His Spirit will speak through people but His Spirit will also speak to us. That's why it's important that we discern. Jesus says, we'll know His voice. There's no, like, if I know, was that Jesus or not? No, He said, you'll know. Jesus didn't say, oh, you'll have to discern my voice. So be real careful, because it might not be me. We'll know Jesus' voice. We have to discern prophecy when it comes through man. Okay? So, Jesus, in Matthew 23, verse 8 through 12, but you are not to be called rabbi, for one is your teacher. And if you guys notice this PDF, I bolded these ones, okay? But you are not to be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And called no man on earth your father, for one is your father who's in heaven. Nor are you to be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Messiah. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is giving this word in response to talking about the Pharisees who have established themselves as the primary source of truth for all of the people of Israel. He said they stand and they and they pray out loud and they love to have the seat of honor in all the dinners and they love to have these long tassels on all their garments and they love to be seen at the corner to be known as, they like to be called father and master and teacher and rabbi. They love these titles because guess what? It establishes them as a primary source of truth and leadership for the people who would listen to them. And Jesus said that they would have their reward in full. And Jesus says, Call no man teacher, for you have one. Call no man father, for you have one. Call no man master or rabbi, for you have one. And so look at that, verse 10. Nor are you to be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Messiah. Who is your teacher? Jesus. How did Jesus say he would teach us and lead us to truth? By his Spirit. And the Spirit would say to us the things that he still had to say to us. And that the Spirit would only take what it was hearing and give it to us. And so Jesus is essentially teaching the Spirit, or not, excuse me, speaking to the Spirit to then speak to us. It's the primary mode of communication for believers to communicate with Jesus and Yahweh. So real quick, let me just ask the question, so what's the role of a teacher? Because in Scripture, it says that Spiritual gifts have been given. So there have been teachers given, and it's been by Jesus sending the Spirit to empower teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Paul, when he's talking about spiritual gifts, he says, if it's your gift to teach, well, then teach. James says, not many of you should desire to be teachers, for teachers will be judged more harshly. And why is that? The Lord is entrusted those by his spirit to teach, because as they teach or lead and guide people, help lead and guide people into truth, it's not that they're acting as a source of truth, but truly taking their role to help lead and guide and truly stepping back and humbling themselves and saying, look, I don't know it all. I don't have it all. Here's what I've been shown. Here's a different way of looking at it. Here's maybe what some of these words in this context mean. Here's Um, some of the things that I've experienced concerning these things. And I believe as I believe as a teacher gifted by the spirit to teach that I am only to present different essentially arguments or perspectives and viewpoints and then have you take that back and wrestle with it and go to the Lord and look to him and say, confirm this or don't confirm this. You know, we'll, we'll, you'll hear that a lot from me. Um, you will hear that uh, a lot from Christine. Many of you know Christine Smith, who runs Engaging Heaven, and she'll say, don't look to me, go ask the Lord, have him confirm it with you. And so I actually get really excited. Maybe this is, maybe this is why the Lord you know, knew, I guess, he would utilize me, partner with me to teach, is because I love to have conversations around these things. And even if I think I know it all, most of the time I can have my viewpoints challenged and then I go to the Lord and he corrects me and I'll tell people that I got corrected. I did a whole Salty Dogs episode on how I was wrong. The title was called Plot Twist, You're Wrong and that you was me. And it was talking about humbling ourselves when we're wrong about things. The Lord corrected me. He did it. And so it happens. But let's uh, let's finish up here. Matthew 16, 13 through 18, this is Peter getting some heavy revy. <laughs> he gets some heavenly revelation. So just real quick, back in Matthew 23, uh, Jesus establishes this idea of one source three times. One rabbi, one teacher, uh, one, one father. He's saying one, one, one. We've got one. It's a single source. And so I think we actually get an instance of, of a follower of Jesus getting revelation from the Father that was he was only sourcing from the Father in that moment. And so it says, When Yeshua came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They answered, Some say John the Immerser, others say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said, But who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Yeshua says to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. It was not a person, it was not flesh and blood that revealed to Peter that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Who was it? But my Father who's in heaven. So Jesus recognizes that Peter is speaking a truth that had only come from the Father. And then Jesus goes on to say, and i also tell you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my community, and the gates of Sheol will not overpower it. Let me just insert some speculation here. Again, you test it. But I've heard this verse used many times to talk about many different things. And one of them was that Peter's confession of Christ as the Messiah is the rock that Jesus would build his church on, saying that the church is the body of believers and all those who profess Christ, the Son of the living God, are living stones and being built up into this body, this temple, this church, which sounds good, but there's a very important thing that Jesus establishes. He establishes that Peter only knew this because the Father revealed it to him. And so I think Jesus might be alluding to that his church will only be built by people who source from the Father and the Father alone. Have you ever thought of that? Something to consider. But how? who else would be the church other than those that source from the Father alone? You know what Peter didn't do? Peter didn't say, okay, hold on, Jesus. Let me go look at my scrolls. I happen to have the scroll of Isaiah with me. So let me just... Study the Torah in depth. Let me, let me think of the words of the prophets of old once more so that I may come to a conclusion of who you are, Jesus. Hold on just one second. And then went to rabbi school, became a scribe, spent years and years and years studying, and then coming back to Jesus saying, the scriptures, you're the Messiah. I read it. It's right there. I interpreted it properly. I finally came to that conclusion. That's not what he did, y'all. And so let me just say this. I'm going to make the statement that the scriptures played no role in the revelation of Christ as Messiah to Peter. It was the Father in heaven, and Jesus recognized it. He didn't say, oh, Peter, you know what the prophets said. And so let me show you what they said about me. Now, there is a time where on the road to Emmaus, Jesus uses the scriptures, but he opens them fully, it says. There's an opening fully of the scriptures to those on the road to Emmaus, and then he reveals himself through the scriptures to them. But again, we've got Jesus as spirit, post-resurrection, manifesting himself in this resurrected form, in the spirit manifested, teaching these people about who he is through the scriptures. So again, the spirit led them as he used the scriptures and it wasn't scriptures alone in that regard. So I believe the Lord wants to remind us and bring us deeper into this idea of sourcing from him and him alone. Matthew 11:25 through 30. This is Jesus invites us to yoke up <clears throat> He wants us to get yoked. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. So Jesus is praying and he's saying, Father, you've hidden things from the wise and learned. So he's saying that look around and look to the people who act like they know it all. Look at the people who have an earthly form of wisdom. Look to those who have been established as the wise among their society. Look to those who have been established as the learned among the community. And he says, I thank you that you've hidden these things from them. And let me just tell you that when we get puffed up in pride and knowledge, there may be things that the Lord hides from us. There have been things in my past I know that the Lord has probably kept from me because I thought that I knew it all. So he says, and revealed them to little children. What are kids like? They believe anything you tell them. Why? Because you're the primary source of truth in their life. Let us be like little children coming to the Lord and saying, whatever you say goes, daddy whatever you say goes. I believe you, Father. We have one Father. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So there is a choosing of the Father to give revelation to His children. Jesus then gives an invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. What does Jesus invite us to do? Learn from him. What, who does he want us to look to for learning? Him. Who did he say is our one teacher? Him. He invites us to learn from him and him alone. And he says, take my yoke upon me, learn from me, I'm I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He talks about the Pharisees and the way that them teaching truth is just tradition, and it's handed down in a way that is unbearable for them to carry, and the Pharisees don't lift a finger to help them live this way. But Jesus comes and he yokes up with us, and he says, My burden's easy. My my yoke is easy. My burden's light. Come learn from me. It is going to be freeing. It will be easy. We will move together. I will not leave you behind. I will walk at your pace. You will grow with me. You will learn from me. I will be your primary source for all things in this life. And it's such a beautiful invitation. Matthew 5, 8. One more thing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? They will see God. Is it possible that we've not truly seen an accurate picture of who the father is because we've allowed a mixture of sources for understanding who he is in our life? When we're pure in heart, we will see God. And when we see him, we will know him. And when we see him and know him, we will be like him. And it's such a beautiful invitation. And so this is an invitation to Jesus tonight. This is not a salvation invitation, but this is an invitation for all of us to once again lay down any other source that maybe we've been looking to. Like it's not wrong to ask somebody to press in to see if the Lord has something. It's not wrong. We have to discern that. But a lot of us have relied on others We've relied on other people's experiences with the Lord. Tell me more about how the Lord has worked in your life. And then you tell me, and I'm like, oh man, God's so good. Well, he is, but if we never experience that, then we never truly know that the Father is that way. The Lord can show up in somebody else's life in a big way, And he can meet their needs, and I can say hallelujah, amen, and I can learn that, yes, Yahweh provides by hearing testimony, but when Yahweh provides for me, that's a whole different level of experience. And so this is what the Lord's inviting us into tonight. And so tonight we'll answer this question, and we'll answer this question every single week as we journey along. The question is, what is possible? And so tonight I want to tell you that it is possible to source from God alone for all truth and see Him for who He really is. And so I encourage you guys, I implore you to just look to Him, right? Let me be an arrow that points to the Father. Let the scriptures that we looked at tonight be an arrow that points to the Father. Because I love the scriptures, you guys. I'm using all of this to just point to him. It's all so that the, the, I look at the scriptures and it says, look that way. The Bible is an arrow. Look that way. We look here to point to him. If we look here and we end here, we've completely missed it.